Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. So what is the latest? Well, I'm your host, Jesse Nussman, and this is a podcast series where each week we are going to be just diving deep into the latest movie news, conversations just going out there in the world, as well as definitely the newest releases. But you know what? This isn't just a little like topic A, topic B, you know, talk this movie here, that movie there talk about trailers. No, no, no. It's 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 going to be more than that. It's it's going to be picking trends, picking big ideas each week and trying to tie in the latest new movies into that trend. So each week we're also going to have guests to help round out our discussions. Um this week to kind of kick things off, uh we decided to go with a discussion about just like the state that we're in right now. No, I'm not necessarily talking about the election or not necessarily. Well, kind of talking about coronavirus because coronavirus has obviously had a huge wide ranging impact on the movie industry. But most significantly, I think it's changed the way we're experiencing movies. And there's a lot of breaking news over the last couple weeks about how we might not be going back to theaters, at least here in the United States. Um, and might not be going back anytime soon. So I had a discussion with Hunter Heilman, who's a really great friend of mine, uh, writes for the publication Elements of Madness. And Hunter's one of the more thoughtful people in talking about movies that I know. He's a really fun guest to have. And I thought it'd be a fun time to talk about some of the more recent releases, namely Disney's live-action Mulan remake, as well as Charlie Kaufman's excellent new movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, one of my favorite movies of the year. And we talked, also talked about um, Devil All the Time, another new Netflix series coming out. But really, we wanted to tie these into a discussion about how our viewing habits are changing. You know, are we experiencing movies in a different way, watching them at home versus watching them in a theater? So sit back, put your headphones on, and enjoy uh, the next hour or so discussion. Um, had a lot of fun. And it should hopefully be a a bit of a preview of what uh, hopefully going to be doing more of on this show. Well, I want to want to welcome Hunter to Hello. the new the new podcast. Welcome. D- take a look around. How's it oh look? God. Oh my god, it's so spacious in here, but uh. Con- Congratulations. Uh I wanted Hunter writes not for... great, but it's fine. It's a great it's a great space. Great space. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh I wanted to bring Hunter on. Hunter writes for uh Elements of Madness and you're just like one of my favorite people to talk to when it comes to movies. So I figured you'd be a fitting first guest. Oh, um thank you. Yeah. Uh are we screwed? That's I guess that's kind of the answer I want to talk mention like you know in trying to think of what would be a good first episode I think just like the thing on everyone's minds is like if you're living in the United States especially although it kind of ripples out to the rest of the world for any listeners we have that are in a different country because Hollywood isn't really making too many major movies is just I don't what what are going to the what what are just movies going to be like for the rest of the year cuz I think Warner Brothers was clearly trying to push Tenet as like this is this is the big this is the savior for the cinematic experience, and now we're getting all these reports that I think it did pretty well overseas, but here in the United States, it like no one went and saw it, which unsurprising considering there's still a pandemic going on and uh, movie theaters are closed in many states, including the state that you and I are living in, North Carolina. So well, like one of I don't six know. Maybe left, which like I will say, proud of us. I don't often get to say proud of us, but proud of us. Yeah. Um. So I guess just like start there. I mean, like, what do you, where do you think we're gonna be for the rest of the year? It's it's weird thinking back to last year and being so excited about the fall slate, and now, you know, I think Warner and Brothers pushed. Yeah, being excited, which film festivals is maybe another episode that I'll do eventually. But, you know, Wonder Woman's kind of off the calendar or is pushed back until like November, I think. October, there's basically no movies coming out. 
November, we may or may not have Wonder Woman and a James Bond movie. December, who who knows? I mean, it's just sort of like, I don't know. Where do you think we're we're going? Okay. So, I don't think that we're necessarily screwed. However, I don't think that the people in charge of everything are doing anything to make us feel less screwed. Mm-hmm. Because... So I love theaters. I do. I work at a. I work. I'm, at a I love them too. Like I They're work magical. at a. I work at an indie theater slash like performance venue. I love it. I I support. I love supporting movie theaters and all that. Don't go to a movie theater right now. Just don't. Uh, it is absolutely like the wrong time to do all of this and pushing everything into theaters before it is time to release them into theaters is only going to prolong this process even further. And it is this unfortunate case of like greed that will back that has backfired really intensely on studios and unfortunately is gonna make the situation a lot worse because I think what happened was Warner Brothers had everything for Tenet kind of lined up, and then everyone was like, oh, well, Tenet's going to do well. It's Christopher Nolan. Like, we'll have right. everything else lined up afterwards. And then pretty much once you saw, once once every studio saw that, like, box office report, when they finally released the numbers, you know it was, you know it was some, like, nasty business when warner brothers refused to release the numbers at first mm-hmm. but when they actually did you saw that like release calendar drop like flies like it was march all over again and yeah and i think that that puts us into a situation where i think at least for those of us here in the united states and Elsewhere, it's 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 kind of up in the air. Like I said, I'm not totally up to date on. Yeah, what, if y'all can COVID. safely go to, if y'all are living somewhere where you can safely go to movie theaters, um, go kick rocks. Yeah, <laughs> go enjoy yourself. I mean, pl- um, actually, please. Hi, my name is Hunter Heilman. Um, I would, I'm a lovely candidate for immigration. Um, if you could just get me in contact <laughs> with a few people at your embassy, that'd be great. Yeah, so I I figured maybe this would be a good conversation to have about how we are experiencing movies this year because clearly we've not been getting many movies in theaters. I don't think we're really going to get any, you know, for the rest of the year. I may be wrong, but I I have a hunch that stuff is going to keep getting pushed back further. Well, and further. if they do release them in theaters, they shouldn't. Period. Yes. Like I um, so I mean, before this I was kind of a I was already a big proponent of streaming because I think, like, I don't necessarily feel like, like, theaters are great, but also I feel like the experience of theaters, quality-wise, has gone downhill over the years, where a lot of my favorite experiences that I've had now have been from streaming. And Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I have found a lot of the times that I can have just as, like, especially if the film calls for it, or if the film is good enough for it, I can have just as effective of an experience at home as I can in the theater. This COVID has only completely strengthened my stance on that. Um, That doesn't mean that I am anti-theater. I feel like a lot of people think that, but... I think given the circumstances, we are in a time where we just unfortunately, we just can't. So maybe we need to embrace something else for a little while, see how that goes. And then when things do come back into play, much like every other industry in the world, we're going to have to embrace a new normal. It was a new normal that was already coming. So Mm -hmm. this is just an unfortunate circumstance that has kind of accelerated it. And, you know, you have to roll with the punches. And I think there are so many studios now that are are afraid to do that, that it's going to hold back the industry quite a bit if they don't, if they don't get on the train quickly. Yeah. So I think two movies that I kind of wanted to talk with you about that I think will help us kind of move through this conversation of, 
how our viewing habits are changed by watching stuff at home. Because I think we would both agree that watching a new movie at home is a very different experience than watching it in a theater. And I think we recently got two new movies that I think are interesting tests of that kind of difference in experience. Um, One obviously being the Mulan live action remake that Disney made available for about $30 on top of the Disney plus subscription. And it was a movie that was originally supposed to come out last spring, I believe last April and was released. Oh, was was it March actually? They had already had the premiere and and, like people had seen it in theaters. They had the Hollywood premiere, all of that Mm -hmm. right before everything shut down. And the movie was able to open in China. um, Although (laughs) interestingly enough, uh, apparently it did not do that well in China. Like I like did, did, fairly well i think with the vod numbers for i heard it um, was people watching good. in the u.s i heard it was pretty good turnaround yeah um but in china the big market i think they were trying to get with that movie which is a whole other complicated um subject that maybe we can touch on a little bit but is a little outside the conversation uh it didn't do as well and, and the other movie i think is kind of an interesting case is i'm thinking of ending things which is charlie kaufman's latest um surreal extravaganza one of my favorite movies of the year i know one of your favorite movies of the Uh, year absolutely um came out on netflix a couple weeks ago is almost a completely different kind of movie from mulan it is like a surreal um oftentimes ambiguous dreamscape of a movie uh which is personally just like catnip for me but I think the idea of a movie like that being on Netflix, aside from just the industry aspect of it, which Kaufman saying like he was would not have been able to get this movie made at a theatrical studio and that Netflix was really the only place where he could get the money to make this, I think is a movie that's readily available on most people's, you know, television set or computer or however they're watching movies. I, I, I think that makes it, Without I don't a surcharge. Know, I think, yes, and without a surcharge. And I think that makes for uh, an arguably more enriching experience in that movie than necessarily seeing it in a theater. But I don't know. Which one of these do you want to kind of like break down first? Because I think the Mulan aspect is interesting of a big major studio blockbuster that most people were able to see in their home, which for all the sort of rumors and stuff going to VOD that we saw earlier in the year, most of the movies that were going to VOD were either like mid to low budget movies, you know, stuff like it was like Blumhouse stuff, like the, the hunt or uh, the King of Staten Island trolls was the big one. Trolls was the big one, but you were like the timing of that was, it came out literally right after everything went to hell. So it was, it made up for, I think Trolls did pretty good numbers because for $20, yes. especially because you know the only people really watching that movie are like kids. Uh, you know, family with kids, that pays itself back really quickly. People are pretty willing to, to throw that cash <clears throat> throw that cash down when they would have, uh, would have paid more to see it in the theater. So, Universal was a big proponent of it, I found. Uh, Universal yes. kind of got with it quickly, and now I'm finding that Universal are the ones kind of fighting this like wave of postponing movies now. Interesting. Yeah. So, you saw Mulan. I saw Mulan. Um, how did you how did you like Mulan? But first I, of all, because because I think I you and I the, are quite in disagreement we're about in a, Mulan. We're in different <laughs> places on it. I am in the upper percentile of people who liked Mulan. I really enjoyed Mulan. I also am biased because Mulan is my favorite animated Disney movie, so this is kind of the one I've been waiting for. It mm. kind of sucks because it came so far down the line that I'm very much so like not as excited about live-action remakes in Disney anymore. They're not as novel. If Mulan had been one of the first, I would have been like, yes! Like, oh, this movie's like on my top ten, but like now it's just kind of like, 
yeah, I really enjoyed that. I thought, like, mm-hmm. the action was really good. I thought, um, I liked that they took it and made it into something a little bit different. They made it into more of a war film rather than, like, a, you know, a children's, a children's war film, I guess. But, you know, a tale of, you know, cross-dressing and talking dragons and musical numbers. It's more of a, a, a serious tale um, with more lighthearted elements to it. And I like that they kind of went the PG-13 route. I really wish I could have seen it in the theater, I will say. Watching it, I was just like, oh, this would have been beautiful in IMAX 3D. Yeah, so how did, you know, did you feel that anything was kind of lacking experiencing at home? A little bit. Um, I will say, I luckily got to watch it on my television, and I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that Disney streams it in 4k and in hdr because the colors in the movie are beautiful and looked great on my tv so um that was that was a little bit disappointing in scale um i even kind of wish i could have just watched it on a bigger tv because i don't have you know like an 80 inch like home theater tv it's just kind of a 55 it's 55 Mm -hmm. inches but like you know it's not an imax screen certainly um and I don't know, it was it was fine, um, but I did get to watch it in my bed, though, which is a big plus. That kind of reverses a lot, which is... Beats the, just, uh, the just like, lovely. creaky theater seats and, you know, finding or, some gum. Or, and... the, or the sticky leather kind of working recliners that, like, an AMC has now. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take my bed any day. But, in terms of you know, the presentation was good. I think it would have benefited more on a much bigger screen, but at the same time, you know, this is the world we live in, and they can only push off a movie that was supposed to come out in March so long before people just mm-hmm. stop caring. And Yeah, so I I wonder what the, you know, I wonder how much of a kind of precedent this is going to set for the rest of the industry because i feel like well, we're getting making to good the point, money that's what i was about to say because i feel like we're getting to the point of a crossroad i think especially when we get to like november when you know the two key releases i think we're supposed to get in november are the james bond movie and the black widow movie and uh i should correct Allegedly. myself wonder wonder woman is pushed back to december but yeah, it's Christmas November, Day. It's literally yeah, only no- a week apart from noon. Yes, which leads me to think that, you know, they're going to move one of those two around. But yeah. I think we're getting to the point of that there's going to be a crossroad for a lot of these studios, and they're going to need to pick whether or not it's more beneficial to keep pushing something back or whether they can just make money by putting it on a streaming service. Like, whether or not Disney says well, it's just more beneficial for us to put the Black Widow movie on a streaming service Why or don't think whether or not... Why cares about Black Widow anymore anyway? So, like, you might as well... well Shots I'm just saying, fired. Oh, I, I'm, I'm just saying. Okay, listen. I am so much more interested in that movie solely because that Florence Pugh, Rachel Weisz, and David Harbour are in it more than mm-hmm. anything else. I don't care about, you know... I, I thought Endgame wrapped up Natasha Romanoff's story. I thought we were done with her, but no, we have to go back and, like, do it all over again. And guess what? I've already seen Red Sparrow, like, twice. So, like, I don't I don't need this movie, really. Like, I'd see it because of the cast, but, like, at this point, if you keep pushing it back, I'm just going to care about it less and less, and I don't know if that's even possible at this point. Fair enough. That's that's probably where I am. I think the James Bond movie, you know, to now kind of pull that, us back into this I will conversation. Wait for. I will wait. I will wait for that till next summer. Like, I, <laughs> I, you're like one of the biggest Bond fans I know, so I know, that does not surprise me. A, um, th- this is heart. one I'll be interested to see what they do with because James Bond is obviously like a big international <laughs> franchise, and, and I MGM can see... is just now finding their footing again, like as a right. studio. And this is the first one, like. Everyone keeps attributing it to Universal, but Universal's only releasing it internationally. Everything for the U.S. releases up to to United Artists, and they are a... This is, like, the first James Bond movie since Die Another Day that hasn't been released with 
another studio in in the United States at least. So mm-hmm. like there's a lot more risk involved there. Also, it's a huge budget movie that was shot with IMAX cameras. That's what makes me think that they're gonna keep it until like Oh they're gonna, interesting. They're gonna keep it with uh keep it with that because this is the first Bond movie ever shot with IMAX cameras and you know I think because the thing that I was wondering was whether or not you know it's a big international franchise whether or not they feel confident enough that the international audience can see it in theaters but if it's just not ready to be in a U.S. theater then it either it comes out in November for the rest of the world and the U.S. just gets it when it gets it or whether or not it they say well, due to the circumstances, it'll be available for $40 on demand for U.S. viewers and the rest of the I'd world gets to see it in IMAX. Yeah, I think, like, I think it's going to be probably the former of, like, you get it when you get it. Maybe if you wore mask, like, you could go see the new Bond movie. Because one thing that opens up with these VOD movies... um that is a global phenomenon is piracy Mm -hmm. is that people can easily rip these movies and then just put them up and these you know one two three movies or like like anything like torrent website or whatever those are worldwide people can watch that wherever so even in even in places where it's in theaters they can watch a perfect 1080p copy of No Time to Die, and that's kind of that's iffy given the given the circumstances. So it's a tough it's a tough sell. I would rather them just push it to you know next year. To be completely honest, it's one of the ones that I'm truly willing to wait for. Mm-hmm. I I I would hope that most other people would be as well, but I am I am definitely in the in the camp of I'm. I'll wait for it. I'll I will sit with this Billie Eilish Bond theme for over a year if it means I get to see cuz like that's my one of the most exciting parts about movies to me is going to a Bond movie and like sitting through that opening sequence just being like wrap it up. I want this opening credit sequence. Let's go. Because it's my favorite part of any Bond movie. So, I you know, I need to see that on the biggest screen possible. Well, I have one more question about Mulan just as a product that exists in the world. And then maybe um, we can talk about the movie itself a little bit. Um, Do you feel like, do you feel like this movie kind of took over the, the, the culture in a way that it would have, if it was out in theaters. And I'm, I'm a little suspicious asking that question because I don't even know if that really happened with any of the other Disney live action remakes, which I should mention just a public service announcement, a warning to the listeners, to the Twitter trolls. Uh, I have really not liked any of the Disney live action remakes. So that's where I'm coming from on this. I like some of them. I don't feel like this. I don't know. Do you think that having this on VOD just sort of like hindered maybe some of the conversation around it? Or do you think that maybe in a way that Disney wasn't anticipating a lot of the controversies around the movie sort of overtook any, you know, I don't know, any actual sort of enthusiasm for it. I've, I've, I've sort of been struggling to like come up with how to talk about it with people. Cause where I personally stand is I, I just found it like, uh, a totally just sluggish, uninteresting, hollow piece of filmmaking, um, and something I was genuinely like really, 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 really excited about. I mean, I the problem I've had with so many of these Disney live action remakes is they just sort of feel like hollow carbon copies of an animated movie that already worked. Like the the Lion King and for example, and Aladdin that came out last year, I think are perfect examples of are trying to recreate the the animated versions almost to a T, but I think weirdly become these like interesting academic <laughs> examples of 
stuff that works in an animated movie that doesn't necessarily work in a live action movie. And so I love that the idea for this one was, no, we're not going to do a direct replica of the 98 Mulan movie, which I, similar to you, I really, really like that movie. I think people our age kind of in their twenties, that's a really, that's kind of the last of the, that sort of Renaissance era Disney run in the 90s would would yeah up until up until like princess and the frog but that felt kind of even though it was like that's a little after though i feel like Like, it's 10 years after so it's like ooh, that's kind of removed from it even though it does exist within the world i think yeah it's 2d animation it still does exist within more of that world than it does in like the the frozen moana world but... Yeah, because I feel like that kind of came after, like, the success of that movie was after Disney sort of wraps their arms around Pixar because they've had all of these, you know, they have that run of whether or not you like the movies or not, these kind of big failures in the early 2000s with a lot of their 2D animated movies, stuff but like the Atlantis movie or, Treasure you know, Planet, Treasure but Planet. some of those yeah. movies slap, though. They're good, yeah. Nothing against the quality, but of They're like very Mulan's sort of the like, last, you know. Yeah, Mulan is sort of the last one that is kind of like a big phenomenon and sort of like really cements itself. I think in the Disney, um, kind of canonical history of animated movies, whereas some of those early two thousands movies, I think, have cult followings and people who saw them as kids kind of like them, but I didn't quite make the same sort of um multi-generational impact that something like the lion king or aladdin did in the 90s so that's kind of what i was bringing into it and i liked the idea that they were not going to try to replicate the movie they were going to essentially do you know disney was making like a big hong kong martial arts movie it seemed like and that seemed really exciting and had this great chinese cast and in all truthfulness i just the movie for me fell kind of flat i think both it lacked um a certain sort of personality that i feel like is so important to the animated version where that i think so much of that movie's humor kind of comes through and i think you could have done a more straightforward like war movie mulan film i don't think that's really the issue but i did miss a certain a very particular personality to the characters whereas they all just felt like chess pieces on this big expensive (laughs) this big expensive game board and we're just sort of being moved around and even mulan is a character didn't really have i don't know i didn't sense any of that kind of conflict and inner turmoil and self-doubt that then becomes sort of self-actualization that you get in the animated version um as well as would probably just like counter by saying i I think the movie i I thought the movie kind of looked bad but maybe that's just a personal difference in you and i like i i think it is incredible that we were able to give a female filmmaker big studio blockbuster like this but you it still you should have been john email behind the camera though yeah i think you kind of get this i don't know the action sequences in particular i think what's so great about um i don't know crouching tiger hidden dragon or what's so great about Her- hero or um house of flying daggers is the choreography and the way that the camera is just able to kind of like sit back and kind of let the action unfold. And you're, you're able to sort of luxuriate in the sort of over the top, um, almost balletic action sequences. And in this film, I mean, I think Nikki Caro is, you know, a fine filmmaker, but you can really tell that she doesn't necessarily have, um, as much experience in sort of doing these big set piece stuff. And there, it's there's a lot of just like weird, awkward cutting to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't ever figure out like what was going on in an individual sequence, and it was it's almost because like she's directed smaller Disney movies before, and they knew that she was easily moldable behind the camera. They knew that they they knew Disney knew Disney knew that they could get her to do pretty much whatever they told her. 
which is yeah. kind of sad. I mean, I mean, like, having that's seen the trend of the, that's the trend of you know. Yeah, it's a lot now. of in-house people who work on these, and I mean, th- thinking back on like some of her other movies, I've seen like um, my girlfriend, who I think enjoyed the movie a little bit more than I did, although said that it didn't quite like the animated Mulan is one of her like three or four favorite movies ever, and was I think enjoyed the live action version a little bit better but was still i think a bit underwhelmed um i don't know she was asking me some of nikki caro's other movies and i i pointed to whale rider as i think the closest one that because so much of that movie has to deal with a young woman who because of the sort of traditions of the society she grows up in is sort of put in a box and wanting to sort of break out that box and become more of a kind of prominent figure in the community that that's sort of the movie that kind of felt to me like the one that maybe like the Disney executive saw and was like, Oh yeah, she'd be a perfect fit with this because I think you can kind of see some thematic similarities there. I just sort of wanted more of that to kind of come out in the actual, um, I don't know, just to come out in the performances and to come out in the emotions of the characters a little bit more, but I don't know. Are is this where you're about to come at me with the scolding? Like, Jesse, absolutely you don't, not. You don't know I, cinema. <laughs> absolutely not. No, I completely like. I can see where you're coming from with that, and I do think a lot of my enjoyment does kind of hinge on nostalgia. But also, I think I might kind of be where where your girlfriend is in that. Mm-hmm. Like, I do think it could have been better, but at the same time, like, there were just a lot of elements about the film that I think. I just, I really enjoyed. I thought, I definitely thought like great the, Gong Li. I'll give you that. Really enjoyed yeah! Gong Li as like the witch eagle one. I am a Gong Li stan. If you um on my other podcast, uh, I talk incessantly about Gong Li and nothing but Gong Li. Um, I love her so much, and she's very great in this. Um, and I think it definitely mirrors that of like. Chinese movies of the now of very like I don't know how to say this without it without it coming across as like a a read but it's not like very obvious CGI and like yes. very over the top like over the top visual effects and it it felt more like a modern Chinese film, which I can mm-hmm. appreciate. I like those. I think they're fun. I think they're they can be a little cheesy. I think this one definitely pulled it back to a to a degree, uh, where it was a little less so. But, um, yeah. And then I just found, you know, I find the story of Muan moving. Other than the fact that like she didn't really try to cross dress on this one, like she just kind of showed up and was just like, hey. I'm a dude. Um, like she might as well have shown up like just like topless and been like, oh my god, no, it's it's like a this is like a it's a genetic genetic thing, sorry. Like she didn't even try. Just was like like, y'all really? You wanted more, um Man, I wanted more cross dressing. I always want more cross dressing in movies. Um No, like it was yeah, like there was su- there was such a, a you you a... wanted more drag race elements in it yes! is kind of what, what I'm getting <laughs> yes no I well I just thought like that added a lot of humor in the original and it was never at the sake of like anyone's like identity it was never it never felt like transphobic or anything it was just like oh no I'm here I have to like pretend to be a dude let me like go through all of the things that like I think dudes mm-hmm. do that are like you know, it's you know, it's it's funny. And I think it could it could have lightened up um Lou Yafe's performance, which I thought was good, but I definitely like didn't have that like warmness that I mm-hmm. associate with Mulan, I guess. I think my feelings on the film are definitely kind of waning with time. Maybe I need to go back and give it another watch. I did pay thirty freaking dollars for it, so like I should probably get my watch's worth out of it, but um, but yeah, it was just kind of, it felt a bit humorless, but when, when it needed to be humorless, I thought it came through like pretty, 
pretty clutch and you know the battle sequences and especially the finale i think the finale was really beautifully done i think the costume and production design is all is all gorgeous and i know that doesn't necessarily make a good movie but uh seeing mulan kind of come alive in that in that way warmed my heart as a viewer uh and i wonder maybe to like kind of bring us back to you know the idea of what is it like now to just experience blockbusters for the first time at home, which is maybe a stupid question that I'm sure like people are going to at me on Twitter and be like, well, that's what I do anyway. But you know, I wonder if some of those like production design elements kind of get lost a little bit, seeing it on a TV and whereas like seeing it on a big screen, maybe more people come away from the movie thinking, you know, this didn't really work. It didn't really hold the same emotion as the animated movie. I don't really know about the action sequences, but I get my grand sweeping skeptical and my big, you know, orchestral numbers that shake the seats in my theaters. I don't know. That's a that's a very specific part of, I think, the kind of summer blockbuster experience to me that is is that kind of spectacle. And I wonder if maybe losing a little bit of that spectacle I think dampens or Say spectacle you know, one more time. Spectacle. Yeah. Um I don't know. Well, A, I haven't been to a theater in so long I've almost forgotten what it's like to go to a theater. <laughs> I genuinely am like, yeah, I miss it. Like I miss those things. And they're like, what do you miss about it? I'm just like, well, um uh well um screen and um ten dollar popcorn the sound and i get free popcorn at work so okay yeah but literally the last movie i saw was at work i didn't pay for the ticket i didn't pay for the popcorn i went and saw emma it was lovely but uh, yeah it's just uh, at this point i've just kind of Especially with me being, I'm a, I'm a massive horror geek. I love horror films. Seeing horror films in theaters nowadays is kind of a nightmare for the most part. Um, because it's just like, most of the time it's just rowdy teenagers. And that's just no fun to be around. Um, I will say one of my favorite theatrical experiences this year was taking my friend to see The Lodge. But The Lodge is not one of those horror films that you... Uh, get to kind of hoot and holler at the screen over it's more of just like a oh oh dear god jesus type of like horror movie yeah it's literally like a jesus this is we we've been here what five minutes and someone's just you know i still haven't seen it so oh 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 it's on hulu go watch it um it'll make you feel it'll make you want to die but it is i would say that and relic are my two favorite movies of the year which are both i saw relic at home and like, you know, those are, I would have seen Relic at home anyway, because it's an IFC Midnight release and no theater around here plays those. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's a tough balance between the two because you have something like Mulan that feels so grand and it makes me think like, would I like, would I have liked it more or less had I seen it in a theater? But then you have something like, I'm thinking of ending things where I'm so absolutely sure that streaming was the right way to go with it yeah so let's maybe transition to that because i know you and i are both (laughs) huge huge fans of this movie um what's what's your relationship to charlie kaufman like i i'm i know some people who have a huge one i don't have like a massive hard on like a lot of people do for him it's just kind of like i'm i'm in i'm firmly in the kaufman fan club of like there's a couple of them that i've not seen like uh confessions of a dangerous mind which is the like sam rockwell one that george clooney directed um but you know most of them i think kaufman movies are unlike anything else and there's something i i just love when a movie can just sort of move outside my imagination if that makes any sense and his movies are always there's something so hard to kind of put your finger on about them but they and they are 
fantastical and surreal, but they're also like incredibly intimate and you can relate to them very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my immediate thought after I've only seen this once, how many times have you seen it? I've seen it twice. Okay. So that'll be an interesting comparison when we like talk about I also, the experience I also of read watching the it. book too, right before oh, that's, I watched that's it. Right. So yeah. I have like, so I literally, I read the book in one day and I had the screener from Netflix and I immediately put down the book and started up Netflix and started the movie. So it was like fresh in my mind. And then I watched it again once it came out. Um, once it came out on on Netflix, it was. Uh, I didn't really pay attention to it maybe quite as much. It was more of like a background watch sort of. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's so good. I like I like Charlie Kaufman stuff. I like adaptation. I think that's like. You know, that's my personal a, favorite. Th- yeah. Like thoroughly, just a crazy film. Being John Malkovich is 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 fun. I haven't seen Confessions of a Dangerous Mind or Human Nature. Um, Eternal Sunshine, yeah. of, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, obviously is kind of like, you know, the one that like when people who aren't really into movies are like, oh, Charlie Kaufman, what's he done? That's kind of the one you throw out there. That's probably the most. Well famous known. i think of any mm-hmm. of his movies yeah whereas like even if people haven't seen it they're sort of aware of that as kind of one of the great movies of the 21st century yeah. um, um so and even new york he... is is fun it's it's like yeah it's crazy a movie i probably admire a bit more than i enjoy but that's only yeah. after having seen it once in college um I, I do think once he starts directing his own material the movies start getting much much headier and much much more um yeah or even they aren't as quite as willing to sort of meet you halfway as like i think spike jones is able to sort of bring out a lot of kaufman's humor in something like being john malkovich or adaptation and i think um and then like eternal sunshine i feel like michelle gondry is such a like emotional artist like his there is a like melodrama and like earnestness to even like his music videos and stuff and i feel like he's able to bring out that kind of like sweetness and emotion and heartbreak much more out of like eternal sunshine and then as you were kind of getting at like when kaufman starts directing his own stuff with synecdoche new york it's it's like i said it's much headier and it's much more you need to come to my level and engage with these sort of like very complex narratives that maybe you aren't going to fully understand but i'm requiring you to sort of engage with the emotion on its own level if that makes sense and then then he made a lighthearted animated movie I love Anomalisa. I, I think Anomalisa is so underrated. It's so good. I need to. I really need to get the Blu-ray of it. But like the, like the the animation of it all, and just the writing. I I haven't been back to it in a while. But rewatching or like watching, I'm thinking of ending things. Made me realize like, oh, that's right. Anomalisa was great. Yeah, um, uh, and then he's a writing criminally o- un- overlooked movie. Yeah. I think that but was, like, also barely I can... anyone saw. But... Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. I fully understand how it's criminally overlooked because it got picked up by Paramount for a traditional, mm. a traditional like release. I think Anomalisa would be far more successful had it gotten something like the Netflix treatment. Oh, very true. With, with like, I'm thinking of ending things, and then Charlie Kaufman's also writing this, uh, like YA adaption movie, the of Chaos Walking, the Tom oh, Holland, really? Daisy, Daisy Ridley. Well, he is one of uh, one of like a billion writers a who billion like worked on, that. on it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because that's the thing. Like, if you go, I dare anyone to go on Lionsgate's. Uh, twitter page i don't know what the like where the stand the stands came from for this but literally under anything i mean anything about antebellum or like 
anything Lionsgate's doing right now. All it is is release the Chaos Walking trailer, release the Chaos Walking trailer. It's just like, y'all, this movie's going through production hell. You can't, ex- like, just let them, they'll release it in their own time. Because it's yeah. probably bad. But, you know, it's cool. Charlie has this, and this movie is something else. Fantastic. So, uh, I have to ask you, as someone who read the book, um, because I'm an intellectual. How does... <laughs> you just, you know, just look at you, just plowing through the books and It was like 180 movies. pages. I read that so quickly. Like, I, I have heard it's a very short book. I, is... You briefly, I think, kind of like texted a group message that like all of us, that you and I are both in, kind of explained the difference to the movie. But maybe for listeners who have seen the movie and or or even if they haven't kind of what without sort of fully spoiling because i don't think you could necessarily i think you could spoil the book based off what you told me but i don't think you can necessarily spoil the movie but kind of yeah how the book is sort of in relation because it does feel very similar to me as like this you know listening to like what people talk about what's the difference between 2001 a space odyssey the movie versus 2001 a space odyssey the book yeah so, like, in the book, Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, no, so the book has a much different vibe about it. It is kind of a completely different genre. It is much more, especially come its finale, a horror novel. And mm-hmm. that is something that when I was reading the book, I was like, I mean, I guess I saw this in the trailer for this movie, but, you know okay like i'm interested to see how this is being done and then it has like a bunch of shifting perspectives with like the the twist at the end which is kind of ambiguous but kind of not which is more ambiguous in the film and it's a lot less dark they use it more as like this kind of beautiful moment of self-reflection rather than like horror 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 and mm-hmm. it was something that when I first watched the film, I was, because I was coming so hot off the heels of the book, and because I do like a good scary movie, I was like, oh, that's strange. But then I was like, wait a second, does this fit more? Does this, like, does this, you know, maybe not more lighthearted, but more kind of ethereal, introspective look at relationships and the effect that they have on people like it does this work better for the for this story and i would unequivocally say yes i think especially after watching it a second time i was like oh i see it's like it's definitely it's definitely something that's a lot more tender and i guess like sympathetic to the characters Mm -hmm. i felt like in the novel um the the protagonist that is played in the film by jesse buckley is kind of she's kind of hollow which i it does make sense with a lot of the things going on but i think in this one she is much more of uh jake played by jesse plemons equal in that they don't really have to like fight over who's the more intellectual one or whatnot and uh there are a there aren't as many, uh, there certainly aren't as many big monologues in the book either. Everything kind of takes place inside the protagonist's head, so there's a lot of, like, rambling thoughts, but there aren't, you know, you know, full-on readings of, like, analysis on, you They know, don't recite a full Pauline Kale review? Yeah, that's what it was. Like, a Pauline Kale review of, uh, of, a uh, it's a woman John Cassavetes woman. It's it's uh. Let, let me look up which Cassavetes movie. Yeah, is, woman under the influence. Yeah. yeah. And like that was something where I was like, wait, what is this? And then I looked it up later. I was like, really? Oh my god, that's kind of like genius. Because I was like, where is this coming from? And I'm like, oh, that's exactly where it's coming from. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of beauty of of this film is that everything is very deliberate. It's not, yes. it's ambiguous, but if you, you know, if you put your back into it a little bit, if you, like, put in the work to read up on this movie after you watch it, everything does come together, so when you watch it a second time, it's like, oh, wow, 
this is an experience. And it's something... It almost... And it's so interesting, too, because it is so, like, it is so kind of intimate of a film. It's not this grand... Totally, yeah. It's not this grand story of, like, you know, like, wow, I've been in this relationship for so long, and we're gonna go through everything. It's like, no, we're just going on a quick road trip to see his parents, have dinner, and come home. And then whatever happens along the way just happens. And um, it's just very interesting. Also in the novel, uh, the dinner with the parents, like like them dealing with the parents, is like 20 pages. It's very short in the book. And they extend it quite a bit in this. And I'm glad they did because Tony Collette and David Thewlis are... Magical? Oh, and especially (laughs) together. Like, oh, I didn't know how I felt about David Thewlis as, like, casting when I was reading the novel. But then in the movie, I was like, oh, my God, he might be the best part of this movie. Whoa. It's so so good. Everyone has such good chemistry. Oh, yes. I mean, the thing that I've also just kind of, like, heard about the novel and, you know, it's interesting you talking about having seen it a second time and um reading the novel it's based off because the the thing i heard about the novel directly after i saw it was that it it literalized a lot of the things that are a bit more ambiguous you know i i I thought about especially the ending made me think a lot about um when i hear someone like david lynch talk about movies and he he really hates it when people say i need you to literalize and explain to me like what this scene means i need you to david lynch i need to see what the number of the day is what just like a treasure of a human being i just have to say that i just, just like one of my like five favorite people on the planet i already wa- but... i already watched his weather report <laughs> every morning but... it literally like makes my morning i love i love him but the way that like someone will confront david lynch and be like i need you you to explain to me the ending of twin peaks or i need you to explain to me the ending of mulholland drive and he basically tells them like i i can't do that cuz it is it is not something that if I explain it to you, it loses the magic because as it is like, it is perfectly understandable as cinema. Like I don't, if I explain it to you, it becomes something else other than the movie. It becomes a verbal thing. It becomes a written thing. It is not this sort of visual cinematic experience. And that's really, I think what the, what I got out of the movie and my immediate thought was just, Charlie Kaufman's movies are are never really meant to sort of work on a like logical level. You know, they're very surreal, they're very high concept, but the emotions at the center of them are very tangible and very understandable. And to me, it was this very kind of compelling and haunting and darkly funny film about just the fear of winding up in one place in your life and never being able to escape it in the way that time just sort of like evaporates out of thin air and all of a sudden you're like it's been three years and i'm still with this person and we just like live in their parents basement and what's going to happen to all of my dreams and hopes and wishes that i wanted for my life um so that was just my read on it but i i I thought it was interesting sort of talking with you as someone who like i said read the book but then also saw it a second time which i think this is kind of the perfect Netflix movie. Absolutely. You understand, of of is... not like it's the best Netflix original movie, but this is the perfect movie for the Netflix medium because you can go back and rewatch it and you can read essays that people have written online and all these different like Reddit threads and, and stuff on Twitter. And it, alone, you can literally read those essays while you watch the movie. You don't have to worry about someone yelling at you or being that that douchebag in the theater on your phone. Yes. Or, you know, go and read the book and then watch the movie again with a more kind of literalized take on the story. Or, you know, pause and then like go read that Pauline Kale review and like dig up all the other like poetry and stuff they recite in the movie. And it's such a fun movie of, like you said, all these little like very deliberate Easter eggs that I think you can kind of watch a five minute scene and then pause it and be like, all right, this, this trinket here is important. And now I'm going to go on this like deep dive. You know, it's, it's like, do you remember when DVDs and Blu-rays used to have that like feature where you could stop the movie in like a scene and then would give you this whole like Wikipedia thing on like 
here's this history about this event or here's like a deep dive into like the symbolism yep. of this scene or here's like a behind the scenes thing of it. Do you remember that? Like it would pop up as like I videos do. or stuff you could read. Yeah, and, I do. And... I also remember when Final Destination 3 had a uh, a choose your own movie, like choose your own adventure thing where you could change the death scenes too. Um, I don't think that's exactly the same thing, but that's the first thing that came into my head. No, but yes, yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I think this is you can I mean, do sort of Amazon your own personal Prime, version Amazon of that. Amazon Prime kind of does that also with their with their streaming. Is that when you like move your mouse or when you click on the screen, they yeah. do have the IMDb trivia on the side, which is kind of cool. Or like it'll yeah. tell you like who's in this scene or whatnot. Second second screen experience. I think that's the was like the specific thing it was for like yeah. so many DVD companies, and eventually you could have it like on your iphone or something but it's cool with a movie like this that you can have that second screen experience and i think if anything it benefits from more viewings and more analysis yeah. and having it readily available i think yeah. i don't know i'm I'm excited for i think this is a movie that its reputation even over the next several months could grow and grow and grow mm -hmm. if only because i think you know i think if you sell it to other people friends or family who maybe have not seen the movie and you describe it as like oh it's you know woman like goes with her boyfriend who she's maybe thinking of breaking up with and meets his parents and like weird stuff happens or like it's you know surreal and dreamlike you know maybe that'll like turn some people off but i think a really exciting kind of lure for people to check i'm thinking of ending things out or even to go back to it is the idea that there are all these like hidden little treasure boxes inside the movie and you can sort of uncover all of this stuff that is so like densely laid out throughout the entire running time. Yeah. And I think, I hope I would genuinely like to see this movie in theaters with a crowd though, at some point, but I think it would be beneficial for it to be down the line when everyone has seen the movie a couple times to where mm -hmm. like almost like a rocky horror experience of just like like let's just like take this all in together and i think what's so cool about this movie, a also because i just want to see that cinematography on the big screen um it's but, great oh look i saw i love you i loved you and since ida and cold war and now you're doing american movies good on you and you four by three ass um but I think what's really cool about this movie, too, is I think everyone is going to take something a little bit different from it, given your, uh, like, relationship history. I don't have oh, totally. much of, I don't have much of one, so it's kind of like, I don't know how much I can take from this as opposed to someone who literally right now could be thinking of, like, ending their long-term relationship, you know? I think, like, there's this emotional aspect to the film that everyone is going to... Uh, everyone is going to have that's going to be a little bit dif different going down the line, and I think that's that's cool with the film that you know you can look up all these things like what does this mean, what does this mean, but at the end of the day, your experience is still going to be different from pretty much every other person that watches the film. It is it is wonderful. It's just awesome. Totally um before before i let you go um you know i think we both agree that i'm thinking of ending things as a movie that greatly benefits weirdly from this moment we're in where we're kind of watching movies at home and having it readily available for so many people to go back and have second third if not fourth viewings um a movie you and I recently watched, I just kind of want to end with like, do you think people are going to check this out? And what do you think people are going to think of it is uh, Devil All the Time, which another new Netflix movie I saw this morning. It is the number one streamed thing, according to Netflix's um, algorithm thing. Uh, I don't know. Do you think people are going to like check this out over the weekend? It's got a, a lot of famous people. It does. Lo and it's got a lot, a lot of, of famous people. people. It's, a, it's got a lot of people who have stands, too. It's yes. got, well, Sebastian Stan, um, but also literally he has stands. Tom Holland has stands. Robert Pattinson has stands. Like, you know, these people, like, it has a big draw that I think are going to pull a lot of people in. And then they're going to see the movie and they're going to be like, oh, dear God. Like, it, like that, that same kind of, like, the Lodge feeling of, like, Jesus Christ. 
like one of one of the like just misery porn miserable experiences i've had watching a movie oh, all year i don't and think I, it's, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's mean terrible. that it's a compliment yeah oh, i don't see. think i don't well i'm i'm like i think like it is well like i think it's a pretty movie i think you know some of the performances are fine um but like delusions i, I so here's okay bless him I, just bless robert pattinson that's I all i am have to someone, say I am someone I I like a campy accent until you're starting to like bring into account my campy accent and like once you once you bring me into this I start to get kind of offended and I am sick and tired of like all of these studios casting like British and Australian people in these movies about people from like rural like ohio and west virginia it's like why can't we just cast people from like the south we have plenty of actors from like atlanta and stuff who can do these accents perfectly fine why do i need bill skarsgård from from sweden to to do this accent why do i need robert pattinson to refuse a dialect coach and come in to think that what he's doing is even remotely uh okay uh, it does it make for like some funny moments. Yes. Does it bring down a movie that takes itself way too seriously? Even more so. The only person in this movie that has a natural accent is Riley Keough. Also in the Lodge. Wow, she really likes a miserable movie. She does not like happiness. Wow. Um, but yeah, but it's also just one of these movies where it's like I I like a dark movie. I like a dark movie. I do. But there comes a point when I'm just like, okay, everything is lining up to be so miserable in all ways that it makes, it almost begins to not make sense and begins to not feel cohesive as a story where it's like, oh yeah, well, of course this character would come across this character, just, you know, right after this thing happened with this character. It's, you know, interweaving stories only work so much it has to work on a believable level and this movie did not work on a believable level it worked on a like a very like you know just kind of out there level and it took itself way too seriously and again it's a very dark movie it probably should take itself seriously but at the same time like when is when is it too much and i feel like this movie kind of hit that hit that a little bit early and just didn't let up. It was kind of like being punched in the stomach for two and a half hours, and it was, um, it was not my favorite. I think. Yeah, it yeah. it it kind of my comparison. Well, there's another movie I like compared it to in our group text message that I'm not even going to bring up on the the podcast because I it would probably like really disorient any listener because that movie holds no uh weight in the culture, but um. This is, I think, kind of this year's um, The King to me, which I know you liked The King a little bit more I liked than The I King a lot year. more than I liked this. I'll tell you that. Because at least, but, because, well, that's the thing. The King, like, had those, like, had those moments of, like, humor and had that lighthearted, like, I mean, not lighthearted, but I feel like a period, like, a period piece has much more room to be campy rather than mm. a miserable movie about backwoods like people from west virginia and ohio um are the accents bad all around all the same yes but it fits a little bit more in the king because it's like a little bit campier off the bat and i think that fits and it's a little bit more fun because you can have fun with that type of movie you cannot have fun with devil all the time and if you do you have a problem yeah, and I don't even was. know that like I need the movie to be fun. I I you and I differ on the King a little bit, and like I I remember seeing that at a, a festival that you and I were both at last year, and just great movie to see this... on the big screen. I'm glad. I'm honestly kind of glad I didn't see this on the big on the big screen. Yeah, but I mean, like both movies, I think are kind of these very dark, kind of very long sort of slogs in that that they just sort of seem to be increasingly diving into this brooding darkness but i don't think have much to say about the brooding darkness you know i think devil all the time wants to 
show this kind of ripple effects of violence and abuse and just like human depravity over generations and how that ripples across to different people. But I don't know that the movie ever found any sort of insightful way to engage with that other than just be like, man, isn't this effed up? Isn't this gross? Isn't this are, dark? Are, don't these people don't these people just live crazy lives? It's definitely like a like a, a movie that people in New York and LA watch where they're just like the backwoods hicks. They're just like they're just so backwards. I'm so glad we don't live there. When it's like it's like it's not like that. Yeah, but a movie to me that was just so I think obsessed with its like brooding darkness but never found like never found a productive place to sort of put that brooding and darkness. a lot of it never, never f- a lot of it never felt earned either or it, no. not, that, not that some of it should have been earned but like some of it looking back on it no spoiler well actually it's kind of not really a spoiler alert it is a trigger warning though there is some dog violence in this movie and oh yeah um, sorry for not responding to that text message when you yeah, were like where well, does it come can, and you, i didn't okay, have my phone on me <laughs> you can see it coming you can you know when it's coming and it's about 30 minutes into the movie but there is some pretty extreme violence against a dog in this film and looking back on it i'm just like i don't get it i don't get why they had to go as far as they did with it i don't get why they had to like do that and i'm someone i'm very sensitive with that that is my own little thing because i love dogs i have my own dog i would don't want anything to ever happen to her but like but like i still am just like why did we have to do that other than just to be that look how messed up this movie is like you know type of moment it's just like okay i guess like I needed the movie either to be more profound or more pulpy, if that makes any sense. Oh my god, is that also Antebellum too? Because that that pretty much is how I feel. Oh, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'll have you back for a a different episode if people actually... Do you think people are going to watch Antebellum either? Um, I think Antebellum is one of those movies that they're finally just releasing because I don't think anyone cares about it anymore, and I don't think you should care about it. It's an awful movie. It's a re- morally repugnant film, and uh, no one should watch it. It's terrible. Well, there you have it. I have not seen Antebellum, but uh, have heard uh, many negative things about it, including it's just from cruel. people it's, like it, you. If, uh, if, if Devil of the Time is misery porn, um, then Antebellum is slavery porn. It's just, it has absolutely nothing to say. It is the, it is the kind of bastardized corporatization of like, like reaction to something like Get Out, mm. which is a shame because I like everyone involved, but um, or in terms of you know in front of the camera, I like all the actors, I like Janelle Monae, all that, but no, nope. Well, uh, I think that'll kind of wrap us up for this week. Um, yeah. Hunter, thank you so much for coming by and, you know, helping break in the new podcast. Oh, yeah, that is, oh, God, my feet hurt. Um, But, yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation because it is it is an important one that I think we need to be having right now about the reality of what movies are going to be like going forward and what we need to... Uh, what we need to brace ourselves for, but I don't necessarily think that is entirely a bad thing, I guess. Um, I think No, I think I think as we demonstrated there's, you know, some cases where movies are maybe gonna feel a little bit different, but you know, we're also gonna have cases like I'm thinking of ending things where, you know, maybe maybe it's gonna be better for us to experience some stuff at home and it's gonna lead to a more enriching experience. 